Hello and welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. The Red Hand provides next-level Ulster rugby coverage, offering fans unrivaled insight, unfiltered opinion, powerful stories, and accessible analysis. Every minute of every game is covered with weekly in-depth written articles, interviews with players past and present, analysis from rugby experts, and a podcast in which we preview and review Ulster's games and discuss all things Ulster Rugby. To gain full access, please join us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the red hand or visit theredhand.co. So welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. If I were to give a title to my recent series of interviews, it would probably be The Road Less Travelled. There are some really interesting stories. The likes of Bradley Roberts talking about his sort of meteoric rise. We had Ross there last week. And now I'm joined by Mark Best, a name that you'll probably recognise if you're an Ulster fan. Not everyone takes the same route in their rugby career. Mark's a good example of someone who ultimately chose to take an alternate route in his rugby career and plays his own trail uh, going over to the championship. So Mark worked his, his way through sort of the age group ranks, um, and then joined the senior setup with Ulster before moving away. And we'll, we'll hear more about that in a second. But Mark, as I said before we started recording, I've been looking to chat to you for ages because you have an interesting story. And um, as we first of all, how are you getting on? Tell us a wee bit about what you're up to now. Yeah, thanks for having me on, for, uh, first and foremost. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's it's been a change the last year. Like um, I moved into building surveying job in Bangor. Um, I'm back playing club rugby with Palna Hinch, um, which has actually been really enjoyable. Uh, doing a little bit of coaching uh, whilst playing, but mostly just on pitch stuff with the younger the younger lads. And you know, I, f- I find it really good. Um, I think we're having a really really good season in terms of in one A, um, and we're hoping to push for those playoffs. So it's exciting. Uh, young side with like a few experienced names that everyone probably knows around Ulster, like Garen Cairns and Cal McCall, etc. So. No, we have a good, good side, uh, good balance to the side, and yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And it's good to be home as well, with family and friends. Yeah, and look, we'll re- return to that. I suppose you want to go from the from the beginning and start off by talking about where did your passion for rugby come from? So, did you play sort of mini rugby as a kid? And maybe tell us a wee bit about some of the players who influenced you or that you looked up to whenever you're growing up playing rugby. Uh, yeah, so I started playing rugby. I went to Downey House, which is uh, Methody Prep, um, and all my mates would have played at Belfast Harlequins. So went to Quinn's P4, um, and yeah, I found that uh, at that age I was a bit bigger than everyone else and liked to hit things. So um, yeah, I was focused really on defence then. I didn't really have an attacking game at all. Um and yeah, I just played with just my mates. Just said, oh, if you come down, have a go. Let's see if you enjoy it. And yeah, I loved it. Went every Saturday. Uh, Mum and dad came to watch every Saturday. And you know, I tried to balance between rugby and football, like soccer, when I was growing up. And uh, you you just get to a stage where you can't do both. Um, but I do think like that exposure to both games helped me along the way in terms of football and skills and like sort of reading the game well and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, when I was growing up, I sort of just tried my hand at any sport that I could get like get at to be honest um yeah sports sort of everything for me yeah yeah I know that's interesting it's it's a bit of a recurring theme in this podcast so I've spoken to 
the various people. A good example, as I was saying to you, last week was Ross Adair, who played cricket. He's still playing cricket internationally. And he was even saying he, football is his sort of favourite sport growing up, a bit like yourself, you know, having to make that decision. And it's funny because I think schools in particular aren't great about encouraging people to, like, I, I think there's a bit of snobbery probably in, in rugby playing schools about other sports, especially football. And it's that sort of grammar school mentality, I think. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do you think of that? Did, did you get opportunities at school and stuff? Like when you went, to, you went to secondary school, did you get opportunities or were you very much pushed down the, the rugby route because you're good at it? As soon as, as soon as I moved in, I went to Methody first year to fifth year. And as soon as I moved to Methody, like football wasn't an option. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think they have a senior football team now. Like they, um, they're focused on rugby, and those who don't play rugby play hockey, and that's that's the limit really in winter sports. Um, and obviously, my dad's a football coach, so whenever I told him, like he obviously knew the crack. Like I've got three brothers, and two of them went to Methody, so he knew the crack. Um, and when I got pushed down the rugby route at the time, it was good because I sort of, well, I thought I was good enough to to like enjoy it, and I still. Like rugby was the sport which was ahead of football at that stage, so I ended up chasing it, and you know it, it paid off in the end. I suppose uh, much to probably a lot of my coaches' surprise. Going <laughs> <the> field, but... <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure you're being modest, but like, tell us about that experience at school, and um, uh, that's such a formative time for rugby players, and and inev- like invariably the interviews I do. That shapes a, a player, do you know, the coaching that you get, the camaraderie that you get with the team. Tell us a wee bit about your experience playing rugby through school. Well, whenever I was in Methody, I played prop first year to fourth year and then medallion. I moved into the back row and played six. Um, but like the coaches at Methody, like the stalwart, the one that everyone knows, Davy Wells, like he was around and he was sort of coming down the club at that stage. Like he'd sort of stopped coaching the first and Nicky had taken over. Um, and having him as more of just someone you could speak to as well as yeah. like he was a proper just a good good man and uh, have a lot of time for them as a family I think Nicky um, Nicky gets a tough time but uh, I really got on well with him and uh, play won the medallion shield in Methody and then fifth year was uh, they moved me into the backs for the first time so it was a bit of a strange occurrence, but when I played in the forwards, I used to kick the ball all the time and would have tried things, so it made sense. It was a natural progression kind of thing, and um, played in a very good uh, Methody team that year. I think it was 2010, so it was like uh, Connor Kerry, uh, Paddy Jackson, like I was there last year at school, and we went and won the, I think it was a 150th anniversary of Blackrock, and we went and won the tournament there. Nice. Before the schools cup started, and we should have probably walked the schools cup, and we lost in the semi final uh, to Balmina. Um, John Andrew scored the last play of the game, so you're, you're not uh, you're not better you're not better at all. I can tell. Like uh. I don't know, I don't know. And, then, and then unfortunately, uh, the books was never really my strong point. So then in fifth year, I didn't actually get back into Methody, um, and then I met John McKinney, who's at Campbell, obviously. And John said, look, we'd love to have you on board. Um, like, you could go into boarding, see if you like it, and, and crack on with that. So then moved into Campbell, moved in as a boarder, um, which was good for me, a bit of independence and um, sort of leaving the nest. I was a bit reliant on my mum. She'll still say that I am still reliant on her. Uh, but, 
yeah, that was a that was a good challenge. And then moved into a Campbell team, which was known as the sort of the Galacticos. Um, <laughs> they brought the. I think we signed about four players that year. I think it was myself, Chris, Far- Chris Farrell, uh, you know, Francois Bester and Charles Gallagher all came in in the same year. Um, and then we won the Skulls Cup that year, which was it was amazing. I think for every sort of schoolboy, that is the pinnacle. Like you, you're playing with your mates and once you leave school, you don't have that. Like you don't have that uh, friendship you've built. And like as for me, after leaving school, rugby then became obviously a job. And you nearly sometimes forget about how much you enjoyed it growing up, yeah. um, and that's obviously it's it's really good timing because the Skills Cup finals just around the corner. Um, yeah, yeah. And Campbell Campbell obviously made it again. And for those boys, I would just say to them just to go out and enjoy yourself. Like it might be the last time you actually pull on a pair of boots. Like some boys just give up straight after school. So yeah, no, it's, it's just it's mad. Like to think like for me now, it's we were talking about having a like before COVID, we were talking about having a ten year anniversary of winning the Skills Cup. And I was like, "What? Where is this? Where is the time gone? Like, it's it's mad to think it's that long ago, but you still remember it so vividly." Yeah, yeah, I know. And it only gets worse as you get older. Time starts to time starts to move scarily quickly. But um, uh, look, you you always have those memories, and uh, you made the clever move over to Campbell, uh, which allowed you yeah. the Skills Cup. That I love that the Galacticos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> team that you have but tell us a, a bit about I'm always interested to hear about your sort of contemporaries you mentioned a few names there you're, you're saying like uh, Connor Carey and Paddy Jackson we're, we're a couple of years above you at school but in terms of your year coming through both at Campbell and Methody who were the sort of best players you played with whether or not they went on to play professionally were there guys who were superstars at school but just chose another route or didn't quite make it yeah, especially in my medallion year at Methody, like the team we had. So we went sort of through mini rugby. It was the same group of players and we all moved into Methody after that. And we were unbeaten through mini rugby for four years and then we're unbeaten and through medallion shield. Um, so like there's players like Rory Winters, who no one's probably heard of. He played Ulster under 18s. He played a bit of Ulster under 20s and then he didn't play really after school. I think he's played a couple of times in the last year for Belvis Harlequin seconds like but when he was at school he was just so dynamic and such a good player like he just it wasn't the route that he wanted to go down it was the professional route so he didn't uh, another one uh, Mark Ribbon um, who played a bit at Malone um, outside centre going through school with me and he, he was superb and then there's ones at Campbell obviously there, you look at um, a Campbell and my captain uh, school's cup year uh, John Crichton and he obviously went on to get an academy contract, played Ireland under twenties, played a lot of AIL stuff, um, but never, never pushed on to sort of play for Ulster. And for me, he's sort of one that sort of slipped through the net. I think he was seen as too small, or um, like, but he had, he had the heart of a lion. Like he was, he was my captain through through those years at Campbell, and you would he just put his body on the line for you, no matter how small he was. He was he was a brilliant player, and his skill set was sort of second to none. Yeah, and um, so. Those three, but then obviously you played with like Rory Scholes that year as well, and he obviously went on to do good things. And just the injuries have sort of hampered him a little bit, but just quality throughout that squad. Yeah, absolutely. And tell us a wee bit more. Like, what is it? What's the difference between those guys who go on to make it? Like, you played with all those guys both at Methody and Campbell who went on that successful careers. But what is the difference or the X factor that it takes? And that's and that's nothing against those who didn't make it, but it's more like is it a question of of will are there 
Are there just phys physical attributes that you need? Do you need to be a certain height or size for certain positions? And if, if you're not willing to change position, you're you're kicked out of the system. What what is it that allows people to slip through the net? I'm not too sure. I think sometimes like people can say it's like political and you just miss out because there's too many players maybe already in the squad in that position and you might your face might not fit, uh stuff like that. But like the amount of talent you see now in one A and these players aren't contracted, it's it, it is it is mad to think. But obviously the issue with being in Ireland is the there's only four professional teams. Um like you go overseas like I then did and you have like an abundance of teams that are, are wanting to take Irish players on because they see how well the national teams do. And if you've played any sort of age grade stuff and go that route instead, and then you, you then usually will miss out on an Ulster contract because you'll be too old to come back into an academy setup. So yeah, there's a, there's a number of factors really. And I think um, like physical attributes have sort of gone out the window. Like you look at like Mikey Laurie, like if, if he had been in the system whenever I was coming through, I don't think they would have maybe taken a second look at him because of how small he is. But when you're that talented and, and like that good, I think there shouldn't be that oh, you can't play your 75 kilos or you can't play your 5 foot 7. I think it, I think that's rubbish. Um, like, if, if you're good enough, like, it doesn't matter on your size. And, yeah. And Mikey, Mikey sort of pro proves that, like. Yeah, and I suppose you, you, even looking, you know, at, at you, you're not the tallest for for a centre even, would that be fair to say? Did, did you ever feel like that held you back playing at centre? Do you know there's some very physical, I know you're a physical player, but was size ever mentioned in terms of selection and stuff for you or did it not really make a difference? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think obviously whenever I was sort of coming through and, and got that contract, I think we were like Ulster, we were absolutely stacked. Um, in that position, um, like obviously Jared was around, KV was around, Lukey was around, Stuart Olding, Stu McCluskey. Like, there's so many, so many players around that you were sort of behind. Um, and I probably found it quite hard just because I thought I was playing well enough to get a chance. But um, when there's players of that caliber ahead of you, like you, you sort of have to just understand that um, they're going to get picked ahead of you. Um, no matter how well you're doing at AAL or playing for the A's. Yeah, um, yeah. But size was never really a, an issue for me just because of the way I play. Um, you know, I went quite abrasive and combative, so yeah. um, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been an issue for me, I think. Um, maybe just, maybe, maybe the only thing, maybe just a bit of speed. Like, that's maybe the one thing that I, I lack is, is speed. And at that top level, the speed of the game, um, you maybe need that if you don't have like a, like a Stu McCluskey, like you're not going to break the line every time you carry, you know. Um, so that's maybe the only thing that uh, that I probably struggle with uh, yeah. is that. Um, but in general, I don't think size holds people back anymore. I do think in the past it did. Um, but obviously, when you see like like I said about Mikey, like it shouldn't be a shouldn't be an issue. I think. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're good enough, you're big enough. I know that's, uh, yeah, I spoke to him a long time ago now, but um, he was sort of breaking through and I spoke to him and um, he's, I remember him coming on for like the first time for Ulster and you, you were thinking this guy is so small, like you've seen, <laughs> you sort of get used to seeing Shane Williams or whoever over the years and then um, I suppose if you're small, you need to have strengths in other areas, like, I mean, um, a skill or footwork or whatever but was there ever and we're skipping ahead in the timeline a wee bit I want to go back and talk a wee bit about Ireland under 18 and all that but I, I think while we're on the subject I was just going to ask you about um, sort of going into that um, that senior team 
And what was the what was the atmosphere like whenever you went then? Was it one of um, sort of competitiveness, or was it put people putting their arm around you type thing? I think there was a, a bit of a mixture. Like I, I got on really well with Dan too when I was there. Um, like he gave he gave me a pretty hard time when I first came in, and um, I think that's just you know you're one of the younger lads, and you should sort of expect that. Um, but when you sort of sit down and actually get to know them as people, they're like they are just normal people, and they're like they have a lot of time for the younger guys. I think. Um, the one thing with rugby in Ireland in general is a lot of the older players are helpful. Um, you can go across across the water and you could probably find some quite snobby older players that they've seen they've done this and done that. And and in Ulster it wasn't like that. Um, like the change room was it was a good change room to be around. I think there's obviously there's a quality quality side at that stage and just the experience of playing of training with people like Charles Pietau and stuff like that. Like it's only going to improve you. Um, like you pick things up, you speak to them, and you ask them what you can work on and stuff like that. And it's it, it is like it's sort of a dream come true. You always when you, like as cliche as it is, when you're growing up as a Ulsterman, all you want to do is play for Ulster, and sort of to have that opportunity is just like I'm so grateful for it now. Looking back, um, and sort of reminiscing on those times, like you make some great friends over the years, and like obviously now being back playing club rugby, like. Matty Ray was my year at school and got to play with him at the weekend and it's just good to be around people like that that you haven't sort of spent time with in a long time. Yeah, yeah. And and, and look, in terms of um, getting into that side, the, the position was stacked, but you said Stu, uh, both Stu McCloskey and Stu Olding and then Luke Marshall, Jared Payne. It was just ridiculous and Darren Cave, as you say. But look, in terms of positional change, did you ever... Was there ever like an option to go back, either play back three or in the back row again, maybe play seven or um, change position completely? Was there any chat of that? Whenever I was coming out of school, um, when I was leaving Campbell, I had a conversation with Alan Clark and he said, look, if you want to be in the academy, we'll take you on as a hooker um, and we'll just work up, work on you from sort of from nothing. Um, but he saw me as sort of like a shot Brits kind of, um, ball playing, able to kick, able to do whatever. Um, but I was probably at that stage just too immature um, to even sort of take on board what he was saying. I just saw myself as a centre and I didn't think that I would make it as a hooker um, or didn't even think about it, to be honest. I, I think I was quite selfish at that time and I was I was young, whereas looking back and like in hindsight, you think if I'd only just listened to Clarkie and, and given it a go even and, and seen what happened... Um, but like I've no, I've no regrets I'm, like I've no regrets leaving and playing exactly the same position as I have for the last uh, for ten years or so and the, like the only thing is I'm getting a couple of runs out of fullback as years have gone gone by like I've had a couple of runs out for the A's of fullback but it's not really my position um like I'm comfortable there but it's not really my position played a bit of fly half for Harlequins as well but again uh, you probably miss out on certain things when I play it. 10 because you're not as much of a running threat um, but I think this year has been probably my best year in terms of balancing sort of the playmaking and the running which has been really nice because you've got some really young exciting players and hench around you and it's been yeah it's been really enjoyable yeah and it must be it must be weird being like an elder statesman do you know yeah, no, 100%, 100% it is weird like you're you're the old man of the team now like I I, I give Cairns some stick because he's into his 30s <laughs> Um, I'm chasing them like I'm 29 in April, and I'm thinking these boys are 21, 22, and they're and they're 
no, the boys coming out of school now are absolutely massive. Like they're just flat out in the gym. So yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's scary. Like to think that I've sort of played eleven years since school. Um, it's just flown by. Yeah, and I want to want to jump around the timeline a wee bit and just go back to Ireland under eighteens. And it must have been sort of a weird trajectory you had, you know, playing at the very, very top level under 18s and then playing, missing out on the, on the academy spot, which is just, the, it doesn't compute for me really. And I get that, I get that there is advice given to you about positional change and all that. But um, tell us, tell us for, for starters about that Ireland under 18 experience where there are some big names that we'd recognise in that, in that side. Uh, yeah, so we went to the FIRA tournament, which I think is still going on under 18s. It was in uh, Tarbes in France. Um, I wasn't involved in any of the um, sort of build-up camps or anything. I was just, uh, my school's cup form then got me picked. Um, I was playing in the back row, I was playing at six. And uh, Terry McMaster was the head coach. And uh, Terry's just a, a great man, a great rugby man. And, um yeah, we got on really, really well, and uh, he decided to put some faith in me, and he picked me to go uh, to play against Scotland. Um, I think I'd only had about two days at camp, and I started at six, and then I started in the back row with Dan Levy. Dan Levy was at seven, um, and uh, yeah, I think like it was, it was really just Terry gave me the opportunity, and it sort of came out of the blue. To be honest, it wasn't something that I expected, um, but I was just enjoying my rugby at Campbell, and we were obviously a very strong side, and um, Brian Robinson. Uh, obviously Irish International was the, the head coach at Campbell at the time and he sort of just let me do my own thing in terms of how I played like he, he was like you're playing in the pack but play the way you play like kick the ball if you want to kick the ball offload if you want to offload like just play your game and sort of yeah just give me free reign to do what I like to do and that sort of paid off for me um, by getting picked for that that 18s camp and we obviously went and won the Fira, um in France uh, we beat it Beat France there in the semi final and beat England in the final. And, you know, like a lot of, I think there's maybe 12 or 13 of those boys have now played like the top standard. Like, obviously, the centres were Chris Farrell and Robbie Henshaw, um, with uh, Stuart Oling at 10, Luke McGrath at 9, the two Burden twins in the, in the front row. Like, it was, a, it was a quality, quality team. And being involved in that setup and seeing that I was, I was good enough at that age was, was encouraging. You know, like it makes you think. You know, I can really, I can do this for a living, kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I was sort of going to ask you. Like, well, at what stage? That, I suppose you've answered that my next question, which was at, realistically, at what stage did you believe that this would be you could make a living from doing this? But you sort of answered it there. But in terms of that route that you took, so most people like the well-trodden path into the Ulster squad is academy development contract and then senior squad and like playing and playing for the first time, but you skipped that academy side of things and yeah. it allowed you, I suppose, to see what it was like working in an ordinary job for a bit and stuff like that. Do you have any regrets about not playing academy or is is it actually, was it actually good for you? Because I know a lot of people, a lot of players I've spoken to have been like, I know you're working on a job now, but when you, you have the potential to play professionally and you feel like you're about to miss out on that and, and do some ordinary sort of job, was that a kick up the bum type thing, or uh, how do you feel about this the sort of path that you took at that stage? Well, like I, I was, I was surprised. Like I played two years at twenties, Ulster twenties. I played. I got injured before the Irish eighteens the second year, so I played a year up of that as well. And you know, when 
it was probably my own doing, uh, not getting picked. I got injured in a uh, Interpro against Leinster. I think it was the last game of the Interpro series, and um, got injured in that. And uh, then the conversation came about me moving to Hooker, and I, I just decided it wasn't for me. And looking back at it, it was, it was a silly decision. But you know, I went into a job. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do for work, and um, got an opportunity with the building surveyors. Um, just purely out of luck, really, and then was just playing for Harlequins uh, in one B at that stage. Um, but we had a really strong side. I think um, like Sean Reedy and stuff were playing for us. So um, like we had a really really strong side, and I, I was playing well. Like I wasn't think at that stage I'd sort of maybe given up hope of doing it professionally, and I was just enjoying my rugby. Um, I think that's really the the key thing as I've sort of gone through my career. Is the more I've been enjoying it, the better I've been playing. Um, like when you get yourself down and you think, oh no, I've had a couple of bad weeks on the trot. Like it, it just it just spirals and like your confidence goes. And I think it's really tough, especially for these boys at the top level now. Like the amount of criticism they get from having a couple of bad games. Whenever maybe a year ago these people are their best mates, you know, um, it, it is tough when you're at that level. So whenever I was just playing for Harlequins, I was just enjoying it. There's no pressure on me. I was playing my own game and. Then thankfully got a couple of opportunities for the A team um, towards the end of that season. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it it is a sort of alternate way into the the squad. But the, the more the more I sort of interview people, the, the more I realise actually their traditional route isn't all that common. <laughs> so I'm sort of saying like that's the well trodden route. But yeah. even guys like. Cooney and all, and Rob Herring, even Joe coming into the squad, Sean Reedy coming over, like all these guys. Obviously, they're sort of all imports, but um, look, it, it it sort of things are meant to happen, I suppose, and it'll happen in, in its own time. And it, it was probably a good thing for you, as you say. Like uh, you missed out on the academy stuff, but it gave you that enjoyment of rugby back and. Um, I wanna I wanna go then to so you're playing at Ulster and it was a sort of difficult time for Ulster. It was a bit of a period of transition. We went through a load of coaches and I think it was uh who would it be? It was like Neil Dope, who's a, I mean, I again you you can I think he's a great coach. Um, but then Les Kiss coming in, Les Kiss didn't do too well with Ulster, it wasn't massively popular but tell us what made that ultimate decision for you to move over then yeah it's obviously you've dreamt of playing for Ulster since you're a boy as you say that's everyone's dream growing up in the province to play for the team must have been a massively difficult decision but tell us why you made that decision to move over and play in the championship I think like you get to a stage where you're playing well week in week out and it becomes meant. A lot of people who play or used to play rugby listen to this podcast. If you're struggling with an injury, lack of mobility or some form of pain that you've just got used to living with, then you need to get it sorted. Back to Better Physiotherapy is a physio practice I highly recommend. The practice owner John Quigg is extremely experienced. He's worked with professional sports teams such as Ulster Rugby and Middlesbrough Football. Back to Better provide physiotherapy, massage treatment, personal training and rehab. They also have an ice bath and sauna in-house, which are fantastic for recovery and health. They're located at the Building Box Gym in East Belfast. Book using Instagram at Back to Better Physiotherapy or type their number in your phone now. 075 685 That's 075 685 
get in touch with them and get your aches and pains sorted. William Carlyle Coaching, helping yo-yo dieters stop living their life on a diet and achieve long-lasting fat loss results. We've helped hundreds of dieters ditch the strict, boring and bland diets whilst losing 15 pounds minimum in 90 days. This is all done with the Fit for Life Transformation Programme. It's the counterintuitive approach to weight loss and will change your life forever. If you want to know more, grab your phone or pen and paper to write down my social accounts. On Instagram, it's at William Carlyle Coaching. On Facebook, it's just William Carlyle. If you'd be interested in learning more, drop me a message and let's chat. Really, really, really tough. Um, like there's probably boys in the system now that are wondering why they're not getting the game time and why am I being shipped out to Dungannon or Balamina to play rugby whenever I'm doing so well in training and I'm not getting the opportunity. And I think I was at the age where I I was sort of just fed up. I was I was getting myself down because I was like, what can I do to actually get into this team? And I had a conversation with Bryn, um, who I have a lot of respect for, and Bryn sort of was honest with me and said, look, you're going to be in the same position next year, like you're going to be that fifth choice, um, and things aren't aren't really going to change. And we had a we sat down, had a conversation, had a bit of a had a bit of a sulk and a cry over it. And I decided it was probably the best thing for me at that stage to to pursue different things. Um, and it was just sort of a leap. Uh, my agent Andy Andy Park, who um, sort of messaged me that night, and he's like, "Oh, we had played against Jersey in the BNI Cup," and he said, "Oh, Jersey, you're interested? What do you think?" And I just said, "Yeah, let's just do it." And um, it was sort of twenty four hours. I hadn't had a real think about it, um, but for me, it was the it was just it just needed out. Um, I needed to get out of the bubble and experience new things. And Jersey was a good opportunity, and it was certainly out of the bubble. It was very different to what I was used to. Yeah, and look, the the championship is a place which um, people quite often, especially the likes of Jersey. Um, people kick on from there and they end up playing the Premiership or they go on elsewhere and it's where you sort of I've heard it certainly uh, back in the day very abrasive um, and physically demanding league and it's really high quality so look tell us tell us a wee bit about what it was like actually playing at Jersey was that an enjoyable experience or, or what was your experience of that? Well it actually worked out really well because when I moved over Connor Joyce moved as well Um and Jerry Sexton we all moved at the same time and we'd all sort of played age grade and stuff together uh, so we all lived together um, nice. so that made the transition really quite quite easy compared to a lot of people who go over by themselves know no one small island and like it is difficult um, but yeah I went over and my, my first year played most of the games um, and we had a really good season like we beat uh, we beat Bristol at Bristol um, against like the likes of Lua and stuff playing so and Mad, Mads was a 10 for them that day so like for a small team that had a really low budget compared to Bristol we just punched well above our weight and I think that sort of close knit being on a 10 mile wide island you just become like best mates because there's nothing else to do than go for a coffee <laughs> with another person or bump into someone in town you know it was it was just one of those places that it was amazing. Like it was a really good experience for me, especially in the summer. I was like, why does why doesn't everyone do this? And then it gets to November, December, and you're like, this is why no one does this. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing to do. Um, but it was uh, yeah, it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Um, had a 
had a really good time and met some re- like lifelong mates there and still will keep in contact with a lot of them um yeah. which is which is a, like that's what rugby's all about isn't it it's like making mates and enjoying yourself and yeah it was brilliant yeah no it's it's it sounds good actually and i know what you mean like it's such an ideal place to be for sort of at least six, maybe six months of the year if you're lucky and then the rest of the time is really not so pleasant but um uh, I know Connor Joyce has been on the pod as well. He's, he's a great guy and um, seems like he'd be, he'd be a good guy to sort of go over at the same time. Uh, so um, it worked out well. But So tell us about, uh, there's then the move over to, to Doncaster Knights. And um, again, that, that, at that stage, there's probably been injuries and stuff and uh, there was that move. Was that sort of a make it or make or break type thing? You're like, right, this is this is the club I'm going to sign with. Was that an option which became available that you had been seeking after, like so, somewhere like Doncaster? Had, had you considered things like France or elsewhere, or maybe even Southern Hemisphere? Did that ever occur to you? Are you too much of a homebird? No, like I I considered France big time. Like even in the summer, just gone. Like I wasn't 100 percent sure what I wanted to do, and I went over to Albi, um, who play in the National, which is sort of Pro D3, um, went over there for a couple of weeks and trained with them, and I just sort of decided it wasn't for me. It wasn't the right uh, environment. Um, I felt like it was quite amateur in terms of like their um, facilities, and yeah, it just didn't really suit what I wanted at that at that time. Um, so that sort of sort of ended up bringing me home. Um, but with the Doncaster move, I broke my arm uh, quite severely in the. I think it was a November before COVID. Um, so I had like a fracture dislocation. And then um, COVID hit in the March, whilst I think I was about two or three weeks away from playing again. Um, and then sort of spoke to Jersey. And at that stage, I was like, again, I think I need something else. Like I need something new. I need a new lease of life. I think obviously the injury, like injuries are obviously the toughest part of sport. I think you can just get yourself mentally very, very down with them. Um, and I just thought, you know what, well, I need to try something else. Let's speak to a few clubs and see what happens. And, you know, I spoke with Colin and stuff like that, but it was never going to be the right option because I would just be in a position where I'd be fifth choice again. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to play rugby. Um, so, yeah, spoke to Steve Bowden. Um, he had brought in Joe, Joe Ford, George's brother, as backs coach. Um, and I just thought it was a really good opportunity. The, uh, sort of the best facilities in the league. Uh, best ground in the league like England England women play there now and uh, yeah it was uh, like and I also wanted to play on the mainland like I wanted an opportunity to you know on a Wednesday night be like oh you know what let's just get on the train and go to Old Trafford yeah and watch, you know, you know yeah, like good man, I'd, good never, <laughs> I'd never had that that chance to do something like that so I thought you know what let's just give it a go and then obviously with COVID it was just well we weren't we didn't actually come back to training until the middle of November um, yeah, and then we didn't know if, if we were going to play a season you know it was like it was just it was just all over the place and then this uh, Trail Finders Cup came about it was like Saris ourselves Ealing and we just played each other uh, two times and then they had like a shortened season after that it was like 10 games I think and then I got suspended I think I, I got a six week ban and um, after two games of that season, so I was basically my season done. Well, Flip, what did you do for that? Uh, it was pretty innocuous. Like um, I went to reef the ball off someone, and I caught his nose. Oh, right, re- okay. And yeah. it, split, it split his nose, and then they said it was like careless, reckless, or something. Um, 
but it was like it was I don't know looking back at it it was completely it was ridiculous it was nothing but yeah. you can't like, you, if you if you plead not guilty you're going to get a heavier ban you know yeah yeah it happens, just, a, happens a lot doesn't it it's where, yeah. like even if you think you're not guilty there's no point in pleading not guilty because you're yeah. just going to end up screwing yourself over yeah uh, <laughs> it just wind people up I know that's, yeah. that's but, interesting I know um, and then, and then that obviously fell into last year at Doncaster, which was uh, like the club's best year. Um, like we were one point behind Ealing at the end of it, um, and we beat them home and away. And they have a budget of like they have nearly a Premiership budget, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, Ealing are Ealing are a great club. Yeah, that's no, that's a brilliant season. And, and so, and then, well, so I, I want to touch on something briefly. Um, you mentioned there about uh, one of the themes in this podcast as well. I've mentioned a couple so far, but another one is mental health. And like, I suppose there's ups and downs. You mentioned about mental health and look, it's uh, it can be really up and down for professional athletes more than anyone. I want to sort of ask you, what were your sort of lowest moments and what caused that? And also, almost as importantly, what helped you get out of those sort of ruts um, mentally? Was there any sort of techniques or strategies or or help that you got? Uh, I think my lowest moment was probably uh, we got knocked out of the, I think it was a quarterfinal of the BNI Cup against Munster away. I captained this um, away at Musgrave Park and we lost. Um, that was when my sort of contract was, I wasn't sure whether I was staying or whether I was going or what was happening. And um, yeah, I just got into a really really bad way um, and was struggling big time in terms of well conference in terms of rugby but just day to day like I wasn't myself um, it's hard to be around I would say for my friends and my family um, just grumpy all the time and for them it's it, it's impossible like they try everything and, and you, you give them buttons in return like you, you just aren't you're not really in the room you know you're just thinking about other things and you're trying to um, you're trying to just fix things yourself, but it's impossible sometimes to to fix it yourself. And sp- actually speaking to people and and saying like, look, I'm really struggling. Um, that's the best way to get rid of it. Like, it's uh, to actually talk to people so they actually know what's going on and why you're you're being like that. Is it's the best way to get out of things like that. I think a lot of people, especially, I think with like you see it all around, like men, um, men being men and all that. Uh, there's a, the, the sort of the struggle to speak about things like that are that are affecting you and when you actually do speak about it, it makes it far better um but i would say that's the lowest point it was probably at, at ulster towards the end um i just i just found it really difficult because like i said about i thought i was playing well enough to get the opportunities and just didn't get the opportunities so um yeah i would just say speak to your friends and your family and and whoever you trust um like no one's going to judge you um and it's better getting it off your chest and sitting having a deal with it yourself yeah yeah good advice and I suppose as we sort of land the plane of the interview, uh, in terms of what you're doing now, you're playing with Balna Henshin, a good team, and there seems to be good good atmosphere around the club. How important is that, and how important is sport generally to you in, in maintaining a healthy balance with with work and life? Yeah, it's it's a funny one. Like it's a shock to the system. I think because I live obviously Helens Bay, Bangor direction, going to Henshin on Tuesday and Thursday isn't the yeah the most ideal. Like it's forty five minute jaunt. Um, but for me, I wasn't ready to go and play at a lower standard. I wanted to test myself. Um, I'm still young enough to play, so uh, I thought going to Hinch and playing one A was the best opportunity. And I went into the club. Obviously, Adam Craig was about the A team 
uh, whenever I was coming through and he was a bit older and he's now obviously head coach at Hinch and sort of had a couple of coffees with him and sort of said like what I wanted and from from playing club rugby and what I wanted us to play like if we could and it's been yeah it's been superb I think there's a lot of boys that probably wouldn't have thought they would have played uh, in 1A this year in terms of our depth but with injuries it's just such a competitive league it's, it's part and parcel of it we've used so many players and, and we're still sort of fighting for that top four and I think we're shocking a lot of teams but within our camp we know that we're more than good enough to mix it with ev- with everyone in the league like we've obviously beaten Turnier. Um we were I think we were a score down against Clontarf and then they scored two late tries so like we know we're good enough to be with be up in that top four it's now just sort of putting a rut we need to win our next three games really to make top four and you know we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to do that and then Sport in general is massive. Obviously, I play a lot of cricket, uh, a lot of golf, and and a lot of rugby. But it's uh, probably not what my missus wants to hear. But it's uh, <laughs> it's a massive, it's a massive part of my life, and I think she knows if I didn't have that, then it would be I wouldn't be as much fun. Um, <laughs> it's it's a thing that puts a smile on my face, whether it's watching sport or playing sport. Like it's it's massive in my life and always has been. I think it's just something that my family are just all, all into every sort of sport and we'll sit down we'll watch Super Sunday together every weekend and you know we'll say why United are playing so badly <laughs> I knew only recently in fairness have been good up to now let's let's uh, forget the last week but uh, I know it's but, funny oh sorry Mark, you... no I was just saying like um, yeah obviously with the cricket like going going away with CI next week to Spain to play in the Europeans uh, tournament like stuff like that like that's what sports awesome. brings that's what the sport brings. Like you get opportunities like that, which you would never do. So, yeah, oh, it's it's so good because uh, I think a lot of like um, sort of middle-aged men or parents listen to this podcast. Um, that's our demographic, but um, people with kids and like I think that's a good message. Like, don't send your kid down the route of one just one sport. Like, get them into loads of stuff, and then they can choose. And even man like yourself who went down the route of rugby can still play socially other other stuff and go away to cricket or um play football socially or whatever which is class and like it is for men i think in particular it's like i speak speak for myself as well where it's like a social thing more than anything um as and it's also good to get out and let some steam off if you're if you're working it's, a it's it's a massive release in terms of like you're working nine to five or whatever you do and to just meet up with some friends, even it's even it's for a game of five aside or whatever. Like it's it's the best thing. Like it's getting yeah. some fresh air, kicking a ball about, staying fit. Like yeah, it's the best thing for you. And yeah, like I encourage everyone to just try every sport, see what you actually pick up and what you actually are maybe good at or maybe not good at, but you enjoy, and just stick with it. You know. Yeah, yeah, and like I suppose the last uh, I've got a couple of wee quick fire ones, but last sort of question I have for you is. When you look back, you've had a wee bit of time to reflect. Now you're obviously playing still at a high level, but when you look back at your professional career, do you have any regrets, or are you sort of happy with the way it panned out? I don't have regrets. I think obviously it's disappointing that I didn't uh, make it to that top level in terms of playing regularly. Um, but it's not a regret. It's something that I, I don't know whether it was my face didn't fit or whether it just wasn't the right time. Um, maybe I'd be better prepared now to be in that situation. You know, a bit more mature. Um, sort of know what I'm good at and trust myself a bit more in terms of playing so I don't have regrets as such but I just it's obviously that's the one thing that I'll always sort of play on my mind is could I have where would I have got to if I had that opportunity Um, but at the same time like I had a really enjoyable six years away and then 
a really enjoyable couple of years at Ulster as well. So I can't complain. Like a lot of people don't get that opportunity. And yeah, I'm really appreciative to everyone that sort of pushed me along the way to keep going. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll pass that on to Dad, who coached your your Galacticos uh, under sixteen team <laughs> at, Holly, at Hollywood. Um, or certainly he was around at the time. He does remember you, though. So I'm not sure whether he coached your. He was sort of around the club. But um, in terms of in terms of other requests, always like we ask, who's the best coach you've had? What makes a good coach? And equally, you can chuck in who what makes a bad coach. <laughs> so if you want to chuck the, that in, the best coach I've had was at Doncaster was Joe Ford. Um, just recently out of the game, sort of understood the game really well, um, and allowed me to enjoy myself and play the rugby I wanted to play uh, in a structure. Um, but was always positive. I think there's a lot of coaches that sort of constructive criticism, but you need to pick the right player to have that constructive criticism with. I think some some coaches go with the wrong players and then. Their confidence then drops, whereas some people react better to constructive criticism. But it's just, I think, being a people person. Obviously, you don't get many coaches that are head coaches anyway that are people uh, people pleasers. They're they're in the job for a reason. They pick the team. They make people unhappy. They make people happy. So, um, but I would say Joe Ford was a massive influence, and obviously, I made team of the season last year in the championship, and he's he's the reason why I would say because he he allowed me to play the game that I wanted to play and. Um, sort of we fitted a structure around that and it worked really really well for us um, and what makes a bad coach <laughs> uh, to be fair to be fair I haven't had many bad coaches I think I think um, I'm probably not the person to speak to I've had some good coaches um, Doki obviously being one and um, I had Ed Robinson at Jersey who went on to be with England in the Six Nations so like yeah. I can't say I've had a bad coach but I would say just trying to be understanding of people's situations is is something that they maybe miss out on sometimes yeah. um, and don't realise that players are also people um, and you need to sort of treat them like that. You can't, yeah, you can't just treat them like a like a business. Yeah, like a commodity. I know that's, yeah. uh, I think the higher up you go in sport, the more and more you are just treated as this object who <laughs> goes out into the pitch yeah. for you. But uh, uh, yeah, and one of the things I, I meant to ask yeah, but was there is sort of a YouTube montage of you went fairly viral in rugby terms, and uh, what was the? Tell us a wee bit about that and the attention that it got, and um, the sort of feedback that you got on that. Because I I had seen you play, but when you see a montage put together, you're like, flip this guy's this guy's skillful. <laughs> Tell us a wee uh, bit about that. Uh, to be honest, it was it was. There's a guy who just does sort of highlights reels, and he just messaged me on Instagram, and he's like, "Look, can I put a sort of reel together for you?" And I said, "Yeah, hundred percent. Like, I'd like to see what you can put together." And um, I think that was my second year at Jersey. He did that, and then um, Rugby Onslaught, uh, who are quite a big sort of rugby magazine, Facebook sort of thing, then got a hold of it, and it was sort of overnight. I didn't even realize. I woke up, and there was loads of messages and shares and stuff of it and it's obviously a good feeling to see yourself in that light and people enjoying what you do but I think if you watch it you see how I like to play the game and how I I, I play not carefree but I try and enjoy myself and like play the game that I want to play and that's what I keep saying about Joe Ford he allowed me to do that and you know it's 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 nice to have like a something to look back at um, like a clip like a clips uh, video and yeah it was an enjoyable time yeah, so if listeners, like, if you want to see it, just YouTube Mark Best Rugby, bring up quite lengthy, it has to be said, um, which some people have 
uh, highlight reels which don't last very long. Yours seems to go on and on, which is yeah. it can only be a good thing. So like, I think uh, that's that's the good thing. Why I wasn't in the front row, I should be watching me scrums the whole time. Like, so it's a tough I know. <laughs> that's right. You might have you might have uh, satisfied the sort of Ulster Rugby Academy, but you wouldn't have had as much fun playing in the front row. Uh, yeah, and like, it it reminds me. There's a there's a good podcast I did a while ago with um, a guy called Brian Moylet, who he played straight age group rugby. I don't know if he would have overlapped with your toys, um, uh, Leinster, and then moved to Connacht, and then he's now now a rugby mindset coach. Who, he was in with Leinster there, and he goes around different sports teams and all. But he's watching your highlight reel. I was like, you you exemplify what he talks about. So he basically says, look, the best way to, to play play your, the, as the best version of yourself is to enjoy it. You go out in the field, you enjoy it, you express yourself. And some people feel very, and he includes himself in this, he said he felt very restricted going on the pitch. The pressure was so much and he forgot to enjoy it. So I just want to like give you give you credit for that and going out and enjoying yourself. So, Look, last question. Who's the best player you've played with? I'm sure that you've played with lots of cracker players over the years. The best player, um, not of the time, because he was he, he was coming back from injury. But Tommy Bow played in an A game um, against Jersey at Shaw's Bridge. I think when they saw him turn out, there a bit. But I think Ross, I think Ross was actually on the wing for Jersey that, that day. Um, yeah. But yeah, you can't look further past than, than Tommy. Really, he's he's world class. Uh, there's obviously been some a lot of boys from Jersey and Doncaster that have gone on to play Premiership, but um, another one actually, Kieran Hardy, who's now scrum half uh, for Scarlets and Wales. Um, he was only I think he was only twenty or twenty one on Jersey. Yeah, Scarlet sent him on loan for a year, and he was just next level at that age. He's just so so electric um, and just a game changer. Uh, but the, like he's not, he's not one that stands out. Every time I think about who's the best player you've seen yeah. uh, or played with, I'd say Kieran. Kieran's up there, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, look, there's you've had a remarkable career and an, an incredible story, and you're still going, of course. Um, I'm playing with Balna Hinch. I have every week a look at your team, and I'm like, there's about seven or eight guys who are either played for Ulster or uh, still playing for Ulster. <laughs> so uh, uh-huh. it's, it's, it, you're playing at a good standard. and. Like the championship sounded like a class experience. Maybe Ulster need to send more players away on loan to the championship and play at that that level as well. But look, Mark, uh, you uh, and for the listener, we'll only give Mark credit here because we had more technical issues tonight than I've ever had, and he's very patient with me. So, Mark, thanks again so much for your time. No, thanks for having me on, Pete. Cheers, appreciate it. Cheers. Hello, the Red Hand listeners. This is Jonathan Moore from SS Moore Sports in Belfast. We're just opposite the front door of the City Hall onto Chester Street, where we've been since 1950. We, again, like most other years, carry a full range of the Ulster rugby product. We do hoodies, tees, polos, jackets, gilets, scarves, hats, luggage. We do adults and kids. And that can be seen in store or online at ssmsports.co.uk. Hope to see you guys soon. And don't forget, shop local. Imagine a place free from gravity. Imagine a place free from all external stimulation where the only thing you can hear is your own heartbeat. A place where your physical and mental health can rest and recover, where you can reconnect with your whole self. That place is Hydroease. Come and join us. 
you can find us at www.hydro-ease.co.uk.